Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible on how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello and Merry Christmas. I can say that now because we have left the season of Advent in which we were waiting for our coming King, but now Christ has come and we say Merry Christmas. We hope you all enjoyed your Christmas and we are here today with another Worldview Wednesday. One last look at headlines through the lens of scripture for 2022. Joining me as always is the amazing Chelsea Hazel. Hey, I do love a good Worldview Wednesday, but first, Cal, how was your Christmas? Well, I hate winter. (laughs) I love Christmas. I knew it was going there. (laughs) I hate winter. And this like bomb cyclone, (laughs) whatever they call it, it was terribly offensive to me. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I know (laughs) a lot of people had it much worse than us here in like South Central Texas. But, you know, I have legit physical reactions to the cold, like hives. And I'm a bit, Mm. I'm really a bit over it. I think you're just a bit dramatic. Like, Maybe. I, know. That seems- I know. I really look forward to summer. <laughs> this is why I live in Texas. And so Texas should not be ever this cold. Personally, though, I, um, we had a great Christmas and I found uh, so much peace, really, and it sounds cliche, but in the, just the simple joy of reveling in our Savior. Right before Christmas, I finished my master's course on the early church, and I found that there was really so many similarities to the Greco-Roman society and our society today. And so while I often want to bemoan our culture, I am so thankful that I live in a time and a place where I can so freely worship and I have so many resources at my disposal to study and access God's word and the rich history of Christianity. And I really recognize this year, it may not always be that way, but praise Mm -hmm. God, it is right now. So that was our Christmas. How was yours? It was good. It was good. Um, a few of my crew went down with the flu early on in the Advent season, but made it out okay. At one point, I remember my fam- like one of the best nights of the whole entire Advent season was we had just finished dinner. We ate burgers just standing around our kitchen island, and then everyone hung out in the kitchen while I made Christmas cookies for my husband to take in to work, and then we all went to the living room, and one kid was working on her calligraphy, another one was working on, you know, crocheting and then my son and my husband were playing chess and I just kind of looked around and I just thought Mm. this is so nice everyone actually enjoys spending time with each other that's nice um and then I thought this is one of the most um dangerous uh weapons in the hands of the kingdom of God is just a family that literally just wants to be a family Mm -hmm. you know um yeah so it was yeah. good. I mean, that was probably, I just looking up and seeing that image was probably the best Christmas present of the year. And I know that sounds really cheesy and kind of leave it to Beaver, but I don't know. It, it changes <laughs> when you become a Christian, your your idea of family, doesn't it? Like right. you realize how much more dangerous it is and how much more effective it is. Right. And your kids are still ver- are younger teens. They're still and young. And they still yeah. like to, you know, they like you yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. And I was like, just don't I, change it, Lord. <laughs> It's true. When they turn uh, like 16, 17, 18. It might be uh, different. It, Is that well, what you're I mean, it was a little bit for me. Yeah. Hmm. We still can be all, all be together, but you know. Yeah. They, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't like 
me as much. <laughs> Bummers. Kind of the way it is, I know. But your kids are pretty awesome, though. All right. So we got some headlines today. Um, I am excited about these headlines. These were uh, kind of combed, um, grabbed them through the month of December. So some of them are a couple weeks old, but um, fun and informative. Nonetheless, we're going to take a look at these through the lens of scripture. I'm going to kick it off. Our first one is goblin mode is Oxford's word of the year. What does it mean? This came from, well, it's all over the place on the internet, but um, it came from today.com. And it says, every year, the Oxford Dictionary declares a word of the year. And this is a word that has attracted a great deal of interest over the past 12 months. Well, 2022's word of the year is goblin mode, chosen for the first time ever by public vote, and it won by a 93% majority. So, Chelsea, just for some reference, last year's word of the year was vax, V-A-X, as in like vaccine, anti-vax, whatever you want to say. 2022, understandably, was pandemic, the word of the year. Uh, 2019 was climate emergency. Interesting one. I don't ever remember hearing about that one. Uh, 2016, we're going to jump back a couple years. Very interestingly, was post-truth. Wow. Well, you know what also happened in 2016? Brave parenting began. And that's, that's right. when we realized that we were living in a post-truth society. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So that I was, could... that, was, that was pretty spot on. <laughs> and interesting enough, I went back a little bit further. And 2014, the word of the year was vape. And 2013 was selfie. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world we're living. So what is goblin mode? Well, Oxford defines goblin mode as, quote, a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects norms, social norms, or expectations. <laughs> You're shaking your head. So according to Wikipedia, goblin mode is a neologism for the rejection of societal expectations and the act of living in an unkept, hedonistic manner without concern for one's image. So I guess these are um, the people who are like not showering and wearing mismatched clothes. That's kind of what I think about. That would have been me in high school. Yeah. My dad literally threw a pair of my shoes in the garbage can and I went and I got them back out. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're not in goblin mode anymore. That's because of the Lord. <laughs> uh, according to the cut, the website, the cut, um, it says that goblin mode has a distinct ferality mixed with all of our morbid curiosities. It's the sudden itch to get on top of a table, rip your clothes off and screech. I, I don't know about I that. I don't ever, even in my... <laughs> pre-Christian Jesus life. I don't remember ever having that that is pretty that feral desire. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know of a mode that actually humans get to. Um so they say that goblin mode is like the equivalent of a dog getting zoomies. They say it's more silly than sinister. It's like Gollum's personality and Mike Wazowski's body. Wow, I don't remember Gollum getting zoomies. I really wish people would read literature a little bit more, but that's just the state of... Yeah, so they say that it is, uh, the cut goes on to say, 
Gabriel mode does not strive for self-betterment. It's a temporary sort of nature that we're all visitors in goblin mode at some point. Some people stay longer than others. It's uh, goblin mode is more about a journey, not the destination. <laughs> okay, so now apparently some history of this word. It, the metaphor originates from video games where when you're like navigating a challenge in a game, you might have to enter into a different kind of mode, a special sort of style of gameplay where you may move 10 times faster or you may, you know, go be like a zombie, zombie mode. I kind of think of in the sense of like, we use the word very often, like survival mode. You know, when tragedy is happening, you know, you go into a survival mode. Okay, so that kind of makes sense. But so now we're in zombie, zombie mode. So <laughs> let's think biblically about this. I actually think I might have a few kids in, in goblin mode. So let's, let's think about this. When I read these definitions, what stuck out to me the most was the unapologetically self-indulgent and lazy. And so I thought about just the sense that work is a gift from God. In Genesis 2.15, God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden because as their creator, he, he knows that that's what Adam and Eve need. They need purpose. They need work. And he didn't give this to them as a punishment from the fall, right? Because the fall happens in Genesis 3, right? This is, this is Genesis 2. He is giving them work to do in the garden, and he gives it to them as a gift. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12 also says, that if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear among that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I immediately thought of this new trend going on on TikTok of um, a stay-at-home girlfriend. Uh, oh, I have seen that. Yeah, but briefly. So uh, yeah. it's, it's essentially these girls, young young people. I mean, so this is not necessarily the uh, same aesthetic, I think, as, as goblin mode where you reject societal norms, but it's just people who don't work. They're like saying, hey, I have a rich enough boyfriend that I can stay at home and, and keep the apartment and not. Wow. But I think to myself, if you're, I mean, there's always work to do. I'm like, at what point have we gotten to that, that, that is a desirable mode, you know, or a desirable place to be, to be a stay-at-home girlfriend person who just does not work. So that's how Rome collapsed. People stopped working <laughs> out there. Proverbs fifteen nineteen says that the way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway, meaning that choosing and choosing unapologetically at that to be lazy is really going to make life harder and have more difficulties. You know, as Proverbs 10, 4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Imagine that. We're finding so much wisdom here in the Proverbs. Even better. Proverbs 26, 15, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth, right? Wow. I think this is definitely the goblin, goblin mode of antiquity, you know, when you're just that lazy. So I really have to say it is not biblical to be lazy. Even more, I think we are called to serve the Lord. We are not called to serve ourselves and to live in a unapologetically self-indulgent lifestyle. But that's clearly what's happening in these, in these goblin modes. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily 
as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So I think overall, the internet is finding way too much fascination with goblin mode. And young people are finding it like as an excuse maybe to just Mm -hmm. be lazy. And um, they're accepting that. And that's super concerning to me. Um, Maybe it's because I've watched a few of my adult kids (laughs) settle into a goblin mode and their life is a constant struggle. And it baffles me. Um, the, The... lack of people working. I mean, I think it's a, we feel it across the country. You can't go to uh, restaurants and stuff. There's not enough, you know, employees. It's just affected so many aspects of our life. And it's not because right here, we know it's not because people can't work. It's they're just unapologetically choosing not to work. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. What do you think, Charles? Yeah. It's interesting that the new word is a mode. You know, that definition kind of being born out of a video game. And I think our last World event, World Events Day, we covered um, virtual reality. So for me, it's kind of just, I'm just kind of sitting back and looking at all this video game um, terminology coming mm-hmm. out. Um, I think it just goes to show the the prevalence of video games in society. And you know my, t- my takes on video games. You don't like them? I don't. I really don't. I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan. But yeah, this idea of a mode where you have a special style of play that's outside of what's normal in the game. So then you it's a choice, right? It's a choice to leave or to separate oneself from what is normal. And I guess kind of separate oneself from what we what we would call decent, which really makes me feel old. But what it sounds like to me, if I'm going to put biblical like wordage on this, is like a prolonged moment of absolute surrender to the flesh. Mm. You know, and I'm just looking back over the past few years with this idea of goblin mode, and I'm just like, well, okay, well, then were the BLM rioters of 2020 that, you know, destroyed cities and small businesses, were they in goblin mode as they lit businesses on fire, screamed, yelled, tried to harm the police? Was Jack the Ripper in goblin mode as he picked out, stalked, and killed another victim? What about pedophiles that lurk on the internet right now to lure kids into their sick, 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 twisted you know, uh, pleasures, are they in goblin mode? Mm. Or could we just go to God's word and find the concept of goblin mode already accurately described for us? And I think the answer is, yeah. You know, I always, one of my favorite chapters, not my favorite, but it's, I think one of the most poignant chapters that I go back to a lot is Romans 1. Um, And I guess if you have time, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but specifically looking at verses 18 through 32. In verse 20, the word of God says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Okay, so here we we set the stage. Everyone knows that God God exists. He has invisible qualities that everyone can see. So no one ever in their lifetime is without excuse, but every single man, woman ever created, yeah, they know God exists, but God is only patient with us for so long because he's active. He's an active God, which I think goes back to your point, Kelly, that as God works, so are we called to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm always baffled and amazed that the Lord never gives us anything to do that he hasn't already done himself or that he isn't already doing. But eventually that active patience with us comes to an end because if not, it just looks passive. And he's never, ever, ever passive. That's not one of the adjectives that describes him. And this was where it gets really hard for folks because a lot of us Christians have wrestled out our faith with fear and trembling over this, this, this concept. 
it's either heaven or hell when we come to the end of that patience that he's exhibiting towards us. There's no middle, no in-between. There's nothing but heaven or hell. And that's the hard part. And it's hard because our feelings and our emotions and people we love are tied up in this. But Jesus does tell us that the road to heaven is narrow and the road to hell is very wide. So if we travel down our, a few verses to verse 28 of chapter 1 of Romans, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues to talk about these folks who knew God existed. And this is what it says. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Does that sound like goblin mode to anyone? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The depraved mind. The depraved, depraved mind. mind. Yes. Yeah. And they're doing what ought not to be done. Like, I guess, jumping on a table and ripping your clothes off and howling. I don't really understand. But um, yeah, let me continue um, through the Lord's word. So verse 29 says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. So I guess my biblical take on Goblin Mode is, it's just men and women who are becoming hardened in their hearts by continually seeking and satisfying themselves in sin. Mm -hmm. And sadly, a mode as we understand it means that a person can come back into the normal rules of play, but God's word is not like a video game. My concern when I read these things, what happens when their hearts are hardened and he has given them up to their sins in a depraved mind and they can't come back from that mode? Mm -hmm. I think as parents, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I think I have a child, you know, in this, and mm -hmm. this is concerning. This is where we just stay faithful and pray, pray for our children. Um, yeah. Because if their hearts are hardening, there is not a whole lot, if they're in their older years, if they're a young adult, um, that we can do. The Lord has to do that it's work. It's a work of the Lord. Yeah, it is absolutely. absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and this is hard, but this is kind of the world that we're living in and it's hard to pull them back as much as we can you know when they're younger it's a lot easier um that's why teaching our kids god's word from a younger age to have it hidden into their heart to have this biblical worldview as they're growing up so that they too would look at this and be like mm, i don't think so i don't think goblin mode is biblical because if they can say that at age 14 15 then fantastic but if they don't have that um going into it they're like oh this is a great excuse to do nothing. I think it's also we kind of look at it and we're like, oh, that's funny. You know, we think of like goblins from Harry Potter and stuff like that. But it's a lot more sinister than you know, it's funny on the surface, right? But yeah. there's something else underneath it that's it's not so fantastic, not so funny anymore. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. But on a funny note, the goblins in Harry Potter were highly efficient workers. Thank you. Thank you. They ran so like the entire you spoke bank. up for them because <laughs> they like forged swords. They right. ran a bank? It's, it's, I mean... It's true. I mean, we can... we. I mean, goblin... Harry Potter goblin mode should be the new word. Oh, <gasps> Because they would be really efficient. They would be. They would just be efficient little workers, wouldn't they? It's awesome. <laughs> All right. Take us to our next headline. All right. Our next headline is called um, 
magic avatar app Lenza generated nudes from my childhood photos. The dreamy picture editing AI is a nightmare waiting to happen. Now this is coming out of The Wire. It's written by Olivia Snow and it's kind of, it's the um, personal, uh, how do you want to describe it? Like it's not really an op-ed, but she yeah, that's right. She she does some personal experiments herself in this, and she's describing this app. Yeah. So this month, the photo editing app called Lenza flooded social media with celestial iridescent anime-inspired magic avatars. Essentially, you give this app pictures of yourself, and it provides an AI-generated sort of anime meets cartoon image of you. Yeah, so this article is written by Olivia Snow. Um, she's written a few pieces about the implications of AI. And she even states that there are more sinister violations inherent in the app, namely the algorithmic tendency to sexualize subjects to a degree that is not only uncomfortable, but also potentially dangerous. She goes on to say that Lenz's terms of service require users to submit only appropriate content containing no nudes and no kids, adults only. And yet, many users, primarily women, have noticed that even when they uploaded modest photos, the app not only generates nudes, but also ascribes cartoonishly sexualized features like sultry poses and gigantic breasts to their images. She apparently tried the app herself and says, quote, I, for example, received several fully nude results despite uploading only headshots. Ooh. Yikes. So social media blew up a few weeks ago with women sharing both the fully clothed images uploaded and the topless results they produced. One woman who shared states that she chose to modify the images with some emojis for a little modesty, because OMG, I honestly felt very violated after seeing it. The author of the article describes to some, um, sorry, the author of the article decides to run some tests of Lenza, and she says that she first used BDSM and dungeon photos. I don't know what type of person has BDSM and dungeon photos lying around. That might be an old like a whole other podcast in itself. I don't know if this is a thing that we need to cover. I thought that was <laughs> so weird when I read that. That's a, that's her first choice? Like, yeah. oh, let me just pull out of my archive my BDSM and dungeon photos. What? Right. That I know. Not so like, weird. oh, let me pull out like the summer of 85 photos. No, no. Let's pull out these. Okay. So she says she then uploaded her most feminine photos under the male gender option of the app and later uploaded selfies from academic conferences, all of which produced spectacularly sized breasts and full nudity. But here's where it gets weird. She says then that she embarked on what, I, what she knew would be a journey through hell and decided to use my likeness to test the app's other restrictions, the no kids and adults only. And she says the results were horrifying. The author goes on to explain, in some instances, the AI seemed to recognize my child's body and mercifully neglected to add breasts. This was probably not a reflection of the technology's personal ethics, but of the patterns it identified in the photos. Perhaps it perceived the flat chest as being that of an adult man. But in other photos, the AI attached orbs to my chest that were distinct from clothing, but also unlike the nude photos my other tests had produced. She tried again, this time with a mix of childhood photos and selfies. What resulted were fully nude photos of an adolescent and sometimes a childlike face, but with a distinctly adult body. Similar to the earlier tests that generated seductive looks and poses, this set produced a kind of coyness, a bareback, tousled hair, and an avatar with a childlike face holding a leaf, 
between her naked adult breasts. Mm. So my hope is obviously that we can get to you, brave parents, before your kids come asking for the app. I even think, Kelly, you, we were just talking about it the other day that you had a discussion on it. Your son brought it up first, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they just said, hey, did you know that you can, you know, generate AI art was how it, it started. And I thought, oh, this is prop. They've, pro- you know, someone probably saw something about the Lensa and they're not necessarily on social media, but, you know, they can still see, they still see stuff on the news headlines. Yeah. yeah. It's, you yeah. know, they have news headlines and all that. So, yeah. So, yeah, they did. And so we did. We jumped into that conversation. I think um, I saw that Megan Fox, the actress or something, yeah. she had used the app too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there was yeah. a couple celebrities who were all jumping on board. It right. kind of was all right. over the news headlines that one yeah. week. Mm-hmm. So I hope if you're listening to this um, that you have already disabled the downloading and purchasing of apps on your child's devices. Check. Um, yep, if they, yeah, they have one. Or that you'll share this information with other parents that your child doesn't unknowingly allow a friend who has the app to take pictures and upload them. Um, but ultimately, you really just need to sit down and have a conversation about apps like these, specifically Lenza, and talk about the consequences of participation. You know, ask kind of like open-ended questions. Well, what would God have to say about it if you did participate in this app? Or how can you glorify him when you're faced with the opportunity or the temptation to participate in an app like this. You know, a lot of this comes down to just pre-planned answers. And honestly, this is going to sound kind of weird, but role-playing in our discipleship with our kids, we really have to be sober-minded about their realities. Um, And essentially what we're talking about is not if they're exposed to porn or tempted to participate, but when those things happen. And I cannot emphasize this enough. You know, when with my kids, with my girls, when we had the pornography talk, you know, I asked them what they think they would do or what they think they should do if a friend tries to show them images on a phone. And I listened to their answers. And when they said the right things, I was like, yes, that is a really good answer. And when I believed that an answer could be better, I would say something like, I really think you're on the right track, but maybe try phrasing it this way. And here's why. But then we role played everything that we talked about. I was the friend with the, you know, the images and I would, you know, just kind of like hold up my phone and I would say, hey, look at these. And then obviously they're going to look quickly. They see that it's explicit, but then they turn their heads away. They put their hand up and say, please put that away. It's not okay to look at stuff like that. And then immediately after that, you know, they would call or text me to come get them if they're at a friend's house um, or if even if they're in my own home, you know, I would, they would come and get me right away. Because I handle everything with the parents. I don't ask my kids to handle everything. But we role-played all of that because someone at a Brave Brave Parenting event once said, you have to love your kids more than you can trust them. And that has stuck with me. We should love our kids more than we trust them. None of us can trust that our children will innately know how to handle the content on a friend's phone. We can't even trust that they won't want to look for more. We do not know how that situation is going to play out. So we love them by teaching them how to respond. And we love them by praying for their moral courage when that situation arises. Yeah. Because it's going to. That's, mm-hmm. the sad, that's the sad state of reality. It's going to. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Pre-planned answers are so the key. Because in the moment, a child is not going to think of the right things to say. You know, we as adults, we've done this. We've been there. And when you think of the right thing to say right after the moment. <laughs> Oh my gosh, or like 24 hours. And yeah, like, like I wish oh, I said that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, and that's the key is you have to give kids those um, those words in order so that they can do that. And 
generally speaking, you know, I think that we, at any time, as Christians, parents, or we need when we read news headlines and about technology and this, especially when it's combined with all the sexuality type of stuff, we really need to ask ourselves, like, what is the agenda behind what this technology could possibly do, or what is it creating, and how could this potentially harm my child? either through their own curiosity or through their peers' curiosity. Like you said, if it's on another, another kid's phone, um, and they're just in proximity of that. And I agree, these immediate conversations um, are so, so important. So my child asked, hey, did you know, did you hear that you can create this AI art and real artists are being concerned because maybe some of their stuff is being stolen because AI learns from the internet, essentially. Yeah. We talked about that last week. How is ChatGPT working? It's working because it learns everything from the internet. So if your art is on the internet, there's all sorts of stuff that we're navigating as AI becomes such a prominent driving force. In yeah, it's like the new norm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. So yeah, we really need to have these discussions about what it means and what it looks like. And I just think like I'm one of those people who I don't even like to when those like filters that you can use on your phone, whether it be like oh, through yeah. Snapchat or whatever, and you can have like dog ears or you can look really old, you know, those type of filters. I don't even like to see myself in those. Did I, you ever use like the vintage filter to no, like make it look like an old picture? No. No, I've never used any of them. There's something weird to me about seeing myself in that weird way. And that's probably just because I'm weird myself. But I can imagine like what that girl, what the, one person who's quoted in there, like, oh, and what'd she say? Like, she used... For a little modesty. She used modesty because, OMG, I honestly felt violated after seeing it, is what she said, yeah. violated. And I can imagine, like, that, that image of yourself as a child, if you're a 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl, yeah. in, the, in the woes of puberty <laughs> and changing right. body, you see this image of yourself with gigantic breasts or looking like just different or however that it is that it produces of you or nude. Oh my goodness. That would be, I think that would be actually a little traumatizing for a young person because then you think that's, it, it's enough of me, you know, it's generated from my image. I would wonder, is that now on the internet? Who else can see this? Cause you don't really know. Well, and it's interesting, like secular psychologists, we even tell you that like just seeing just nude images in general for a kid can be really traumatizing. What is it going to be for a child to see, you know, an adult body with their child's head on it fully nude? Like what is that type of trauma? Yeah. Do do you know what I mean? That's like a whole different world of weird. Yeah. I I don't think we even really know what that's going to do to a young person's brain to see. Yeah yourself and like whether it be deep fakes or mm-hmm. different type of AI generated images, videos, right? We talked about this last week. It's, it, it may not be going there right now, but it's starting and it's definitely moving there. So, so yeah, those conversations, you know, you may only have five minutes of attention span from your kids. You may only get a few minutes. So when the conversation comes up, it's so important to just be present and engage in that conversation, whenever you read a headline or hear it, or they mention it and make sure that you can drop some biblical perspective in there, um, because that can always be a seed. They may not, they may not value your opinion right now, but as time goes on 
and life happens and they see what's going on in the world and through their peers, that seed, you know, or sort of that stone in their shoe, so to speak, that you placed can, that will come back and they'll remember, you know, they'll remember that, that biblical worldview or perspective that you sort of mentioned about this. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, it can really impact them. And, you know, that really just goes back to Deuteronomy 6, 7 and how we're supposed to talk about God's word on a constant basis. And it says, you know, talk about it with your children, teach them as you sit down, as you walk along the road, you're driving to school, as you're, you know, eating dinner, having, um, you know, doing homework time or whatever that is, you know, always use every opportunity to engage in these conversations. Because I do believe that even if you have what you only get one sentence in before they be like, whatever, mom. Yeah. I think it's valuable. It's always, it's always worth it. And just always pray, 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 pray for our children. All right. Next headline. Are you ready for this one? So this I chose and I thought, you know, we talk so much about technology a lot and some other just societal over-sexualization. <laughs> this would be a fun one to really look at through the lens of scripture because I think that we just kind of overlook headlines like this. So this headline comes from NPR.org, and it says the Dead Sea is dying. These beautiful, ominous photos show the impact. Now, obviously, I don't have the photos to show you, but the article goes on to say that it is an unparalleled wonder of the world, the lowest exposed spot on earth. Its therapeutic waters are so full of salt that bathers float right to the top. This natural spa is a source of rich minerals used by the ancient Egyptians for mummification and fabled to be the biblical site of Sodom and Gomorrah. But today the Dead Sea is dying and its banks are collapsing. The water level is dropping close to four feet every year. The article goes on to quote um, someone who lives there, an Israeli who operates the only passenger boat on the Dead Sea. And he says, quote, you've seen a living disaster in front of your eyes. Now, they also talk about how the Dead Sea is landlocked, um, partly between uh, in Jordan and Israel and the Israeli-occupied West Bank. And they say this has been drying up for decades. Two Americans went over there and spent two weeks to write a book on this. And um, they go on to say that people on the Jordanian side have said their lives have gotten worse. It seems that most people are accepting that the level of this part of the Dead Sea may drop another 100 or 150 meters in the future, which is about 330 feet, and that over a century, at which point scientists say the Dead Sea may stabilize, but the lake is going to be very small. And it, you know, the article goes on to talk about you know, climate change and, and all of that. So, so when we look at this headline through a biblical lens, I think it's super important that number one, as, as Christians, a lot of us maybe dismiss, you know, the climate change stuff. And it's not that we're not supposed to care for the earth. I believe that we absolutely are, but it's not something that we should fear. If you can recycle, recycle. <laughs> if you need to change your car's exhaust to decrease emission, please do so. Right? We are not called to trash the earth, but we do know um, that the earth is not our final home. Um, but we do have a biblical mandate to steward our resource as well. And so that's, that's a really important thing when we think about all these headlines about climate emergencies and climate change and woe is us. This is happening to the oceans and this is happening to the lakes and all of this. 
So, however, you know, the earth is in decline. It is, but it's not something to fear. And there's nothing that um, a government program can fix because the earth, like humans, is under the curse of sin. And that government program and the government itself is also under the curse of sin. There's really no escaping it. The side of heaven is there. (laughs) Yeah, there really isn't. So I think when we look at this and we talk about um, climate with our kids, it's important that our kids understand, um, really have a proper understanding of Genesis 3. This is where the earth became under the curse. Without a foundation of Genesis 3, a biblical worldview really isn't possible. This is, explains everything. So Genesis 3 is the fall of Adam and Eve. Because they sinned against God, the curse of sin is upon them and the earth. Genesis 3 verses 17 and 18 states, Cursed is the ground because of you. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And then Adam and Eve were forced from the garden, which was God's perfect creation, where they were in communion with God himself. Now, the decline and decay of the earth, as well as the depravity and death that we face in mankind, this all should point us to how unspeakably horrible it is to sin against a holy God. We die because we have sin. The earth dies, you know, so to speak, because there is sin. Sin is what causes this to happen. And that should remind us of our need of a Savior. And praise God, our Savior has come. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. In Isaiah 51, 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in a like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. So here we have it. The earth will wear out like a garment. The Dead Sea is going to dry up. This is what we see happening with its natural resources are being used up. Ocean life is changing. Crops are failing. But God says to the prophet, yeah, this is all what's going to happen. But my salvation will be forever. And the Gospel of Matthew records Christ's words in Matthew 24, 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How is it that God's salvation is forever? How is, what does it mean that his, his words are not going to pass away? Well, it means that while the earth and every, every living thing upon it is under the curse of sin and will perish one day, God's promise to create a new heaven and a new earth where all who have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, will live with him forever. This is a promise that is unfailing. It is a promise yet to come. We haven't seen it yet, but it will not pass away. And salvation through Jesus Christ shall be forever on this new earth. So we see this described in Revelations 21, 1 through 7. So I'm going to read that to us. This is what the word of God says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, 
behold, I am making all things new. That's amazing. And sometimes I think we glaze over that as though that's not a real thing. It's not a real promise. But for those who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is great news. Now, knowing and resting in this promise of the new heaven and new earth should give us peace. We, we, should have, we should be able to read these headlines and have peace and understand that, yes, this earth, that we're going to see decay and destruction and death, and we can do what we can to, to stop some of that and be good stewards of our resources. But like Romans 8.22 says, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Since the beginning, the curse of the sin has caused pain, sadness, and struggle. And while we can do some things to better our part of the environment, the best solution, y'all, the best solution, the only solution is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. Upon him is the promise of the new heaven and new earth. You want a new earth? It's not going to come through a government plan. It's going to come through salvation in Jesus Christ. No amount of fear of what lies ahead is going to change that. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there within. The earth is the Lord's. We are just placed here for a temporary time. Psalm 46 says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We don't need to fear. The cold weather, <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> preaching keep that in to myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, but really, when the, the next time when there's hurricanes or tornadoes and winter storms and earthquakes, and um, there was even like a volcano, I think, that was erupting. I think it's still erupting. Maybe, yeah, I'm right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, and we think, oh, no, and, and, and we want to be fearful. And man, God is just still so good, and his, he's sovereign. And he still reigns over all of this. And we have a great promise. And I think that is such the key to remember when we hear these stories of climate change and all these terrible things that's happening around to the earth. What do you think? I agree. I think that was an excellent walkthrough of um, just the faithfulness of our God and the supremacy of salvation in him versus the tangible things that we can see. Yeah. You know? Climate change always evokes a lot of emotions from people. That's mm-hmm. why we have climate activists. Did you read those headlines where like students were like um, a few weeks ago in the Netherlands and in Germany, they were like um, gluing themselves to famous works of art? Did you read that? <laughs> or throwing cans of soup at like Van Gogh's and... What? Oh, oh yeah. I did. I did see something about that. What? I, but I don't think I read it. I only saw the headline. It was, I don't know. There's climate activism. That's the only thing I remember. And I just... I was mortified because I had seen some of those works of art in person and I can't imagine Mm. anyone ever throwing a can of soup at it. Um, But yeah, it just, it evokes a lot of emotions. But you know, what's really interesting is the word like emotion actually doesn't even, the actual word itself doesn't appear in the Bible. So when we look at this Mm. biblically for my, you know, my own take, while the word emotion doesn't appear in the Bible, you know, obviously we see a full range of emotions in the Bible from God and from mankind but more than that, God is really just more, a lot more concerned with our hearts and our mind, what we call like the inner man, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4, because what's rooted in our heart is what produces the emotions. Mm. You know, they're the fruit of what's rooted. Um, and so for some people, it might be hopelessness. For some people, it might be anger, rage, those types of things. And they're producing um, a fruit. But 
even more, you know, what we focus our mind and our heart and our affections are, you know, they produce these emotions. And like for climate activists who can be stuck under the curse of sin, as you mentioned, which is general revelation, and they have their they have their focus, their their mind, their heart, and their affections on the changes of the environment. You know, that's all they're looking at. That's all they're seeing. Um, I think you even quoted in the article the the guy who runs the the tour the tour boat. You know, and he said, "You've seen a living disaster in front of your eyes. Like that's pretty dramatic, right?" Yeah. So when we're focused on all of that and it's impacting the affections, the heart, the mind, and you're stuck under the curse of general revelation and under the curse of sin. Well, yeah, you're going to be paranoid at the end of the day, aren't you? Because you can't hold up everything that you're seeing and all of these emotions that you're feel like you're experiencing, you cannot hold that up to an everlasting word of God and trust his sovereignty. And this is why even in something like this, this type of article, there is a supremacy to Christianity, to our God, to our savior that is it, it it supersedes everything else in this world, every other world religion, and I'm I'm not, I'm not going to be apologetic in that. That that's just what it is. Yeah. We have this everlasting word, and He gives us this promise that when the earth does fade away, and and you know He He renews it, and we have this new Jerusalem, this new heavens, this new earth, we're not going to be stuck under that curse of sin anymore. But the other thing that really concerns me is just climate activism in general, because it's you know, it's can really grip the heart of our kids. And for our listeners, I really just want to share a great resource. If you're if you do have kids who are kind of getting on the climate activism train and you're not really sure how to help them or just how to navigate everything, there's an organization called the Cornwall Alliance. And it seems to me that they're trying to do a, a really good job of balancing the concern for the earth's resources and the concern for God's image bearers who live in complete poverty. You know, Kelly mentioned that we have a mandate to steward the resources that we have well, but the stewardship of those resources shouldn't become an idol. We should we should use those resources to love others, first to love God, right? To um to glorify him in the stewardship of those resources, but then to love others well. Um, so they're trying to balance that, the earth's resources and image bearers who live in complete poverty. And this is just a little snippet. From the organization that I found on their website that I thought was just really good. Um, it says, at the Cornwall Alliance, we believe biblical earth stewardship is central to the Christian life. But what exactly is biblical earth stewardship? How do we navigate the seemingly conflicting claims of nature and human welfare? How can we care for the earth while caring most of all for the earth's poor made in the image of God? These questions and more are at the center of our conversations. In an age of increasing political polarization and paranoia, we want to help Christians understand climate science, energy economics, and common sense public policy. I think they just ask really good questions, Kelly. Yeah. And I think they, they're trying. They're trying as best they can because we all see that there's a problem, right? We all, we all can see it, general and the, the secular and Christians. We all see there's a problem, and I think we're just trying to, trying to solve it well mm -hmm. um, to the glory of God as best we can. I yeah. think you brought up a good point about like when your kids, if they're kind of getting on this train. Um, when I was doing some research, I found UNICEF's website and they talk about, you know, these kids all across the world who are being positive change, I think was the word they might have used, you know, in their in their communities for uh, climate change and what that means. And ultimately, when you read some of these kids' stories, all they, they want to do, it's more of a humanitarian effort. It's, it's, they're not doing it because 
they need the earth to stay here because this is their home forever. There's not, kids don't really understand. They're not processing that. They want to get behind something, you know? And I think that ultimately in the, in the heart of a lot of young people who are jumping on this train of climate activism, hopefully there is a heart of humanitarian effort. They want to help people in the community. They want to, so they want to steward resources well. And so the key is keeping them with a humanitarian effort and not a political effort. Yeah, that's a good point. And so that I think we can um, encourage some of those things. Okay. And asking questions about how does this help the community? How does this help the people who live here? How does this help people who don't have a lot of resources and not just, hey, I can become famous on social media if I jump on this train. It's always about the heart and the motivation of the heart and and what's behind that. And if nothing else... In 2023, I will be going to the Dead Sea. So I'm I know. so excited. I know. I'm so excited. I was wondering if you're going to bring that up. I uh, yeah. So I about. am going to Israel in April. And when I check out that Dead Sea, I'm going to let you all know. I'll report back. That's awesome. I'm a little jelly. I'm working through it in my heart, but it's okay. I know. I'll I get wish, there one day. I wish I could bring you in my, my suitcase. In your suitcase. Okay. Our next article. This one's going to get me hot behind the collar, folks, because this just yeah, Take your earrings my... off. If it wasn't five in the morning, your earrings are already off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, a retired Navy SEAL made famous after coming out as trans announces detransition. It destroyed my life. This is coming out of just Yahoo News. It's actually everywhere right it's all now. Over, I believe yeah. the Colson Center covered it um, last week. So- A retired Navy SEAL who became famous nearly 10 years ago after coming out as a transgender announced that he was detransitioning and called on Americans to, quote, wake up, end quote, about how transgender health services are hurting children. Everything you see on CNN with my face, do not believe a word of it. Chris Beck, formerly known as Kristen Beck, told conservative influencer Robbie Starbuck in an interview published earlier this month, everything that happened to me for the last 10 years destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did this to myself, but I had help. I take full responsibility, he continued. I went on CNN and everything else, and that's why I'm here right now. I'm trying to correct that. Beck gained notoriety in 2013 when he spoke to CNN's Anderson Cooper about transitioning to a woman. I was used. I was very naive. I was in a really bad way, and I had gotten taken advantage of. I got propagandized. I got used badly by a lot of people who had knowledge way beyond me. They knew what they were doing. I didn't, he said in an interview. Beck served in the Navy for 20 years, including on SEAL Team 6. He was deployed 13 times and received more than 50 medals and ribbons for his service. Beck said that when he began transitioning, it took just an hour-long meeting at Veterans Affairs to be offered hormones. I walked into a psychologist's office, and in one day, I had a letter in my hand saying I was transgender. I was authorized for hormones. I was authorized all this other stuff, Beck said. This is a billion-dollar industry between psychologists, between surgeries, between hormones, between chemicals, between follow-up treatments, he continued. There are thousands of gender clinics popping up all over the country, and each of those gender clinics is going to be pulling in probably over 50 million. I mean, like, reading the headline gets me upset, but then I read the article again, and I'm like, oh, no. And it's like, it's just an indignation. First of all, I'm really thankful that he is speaking out against the atrocities of gender-affirming care. And the use of the word care in this context is an oxymoron. It's not care when a person who has suffered through incredible difficulties like this man, he entered 13 deployments for the American people, 
And this is the kind of care he receives from Veterans Affair? Oh, heck no. I am sorry. That is not care. One hour? One hour later, I've got a letter that says I'm transgender? I'm a whole new person in one hour. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'm sorry. That is only Jesus. Only Jesus can change a person in the snap of a finger. Yeah. Not, not, Not a piece of paper that says I'm a brand new person in one hour. No. But you know what really scares me, Kelly? This Amazon Prime instant gratification of mental health care. Within one appointment, like we said, he had a letter in hand declaring that he was a new person and then put on drugs with irreversible consequences. You and I spend more time picking out and planning our next tattoo than these medical professionals did taking care of our veteran. And by taking longer, I would like to clarify that we mean years. Like our last tattoo together was like, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's a long time. Six or seven years, it should probably take for someone to actually determine, you know? Whether, yeah. I mean, yeah. not that you should ever really determine that because, I mean, biology is biology. But, right. but an hour? Mm-hmm. I know. I know. This worldview of now and immediacy, it is absolutely ruin us, ruining us as a society. But it's trickling into parenting, isn't it? Like, it is ruining us as parents. Yeah. Really, I mean, what it, happened? Sorry. No, I'm sorry. It's I'm, Yeah, when we talk about immediacy, like this immediate gratification, it's such a destructive force. Go ahead. Sorry. What happened to take your time? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach us that our own process of growth and holiness takes time? Isn't it a fruit of the Spirit? A fruit of proof that we are indeed saved individuals and being sanctified by the Spirit? Isn't one of those fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 patience? Let me read to you a few, and this is just a few examples of patience in the scriptures. In Luke 8, 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast in it and an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Romans 8, 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Colossians 3, 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. James 5, 7, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, this mentality of Amazon Prime mental health care is coming after our kids. Kelly, did you know that in 2021, 42,000 children and teens in the U.S. received a gender dysphoria diagnosis, which nearly tripled the number from 2017. And overall, 121,000 children from 6 to 17 were diagnosed with gender dysphoria between 2017 and 2021. This is all coming out of Komodo Health, which is a tech company that compiles information for Reuters. Brave parents, God was patient with us in our sinful nature. Let's be patient with our kids and not rush into anything that would cause them harm. Let's also shout from the mountaintops and the rooftops that we have a patient God. That means being patient in the thought and being patient in, in the big things and the thoughtful things like privileges that are traditionally associated with age instead of maturity level, but also being patient and thoughtful about the little things like purchasing apps, dates with friends, even clothing choices. Y'all, do not get me started on crop tops right now. It is a it is a hot mess of fashion out there. Well, yeah, I mean, so I have a whole entire chapter um, in my book on patience, and it's funny because I just um, finished the edits 
of that in the in the new edited version of the book that's coming out in 2023 uh, last night. And I just thought, yes, paint. I mean, this is still, I mean, it's been five years. Not, I mean, a lot has happened in five years, but this, this is never, ever going to go away. But what's interesting, you know, we cannot, the world is taking away our ability as parents to even be patient on this topic. And I think that's why we get so outraged. I hear you turning some pages over there, Chelsea. I know, I'm getting some pages ready. Um, but, you know, the, they're taking our ability to decide this, that medical professionals can decide when our kids can or what, what gender they are and handing them papers and saying, yeah, you're, you know, transgender. Here, do this. And guess what? Your parents can't, can't do anything about this. This is why patience with letting our kids have access to the media of the world is yeah. so important because there is so much research out there that shows that just transgenderism, I don't know about research, but there's smarter people than I who are looking at these trends and saying, this is the same as the anorexia trends, which yeah. uh, of- From the early 90s. Even the mm-hmm. early 90s, that it all comes about in peer groups. One person starts and then they all start doing this and it becomes a trend. And now with media in kids' hands, they're seeing all of this on social media. This is why your patients deal with your kids' demand. I want TikTok. I want this. I want that. Be patient in the sense that you do not give in. As soon as you give that, you're giving them every terrible ideology of the world. Well, and it's like in trends, you know, we uh, for, for people who do truly struggle with gender dysphoria, they have thoughts and feelings in their heart that just don't line up with who they are. And for then to it be a trend where everyone under the sun is also experiencing this, it just, it's kind of like a slap in the face because it's like, wait, I am an actual person who's struggling with this. Like I remember um, like the whole Me Too movement. You know, there are women out there who have been brutally and awfully um, uh, hurt um, in, in sexual intimacy. But then if everyone under the sun now is, you know, can choose, oh, well, I was, I was victimized too. I was hurt. It just, it ruins what is actually wrong. Like it takes away the meaning, the value. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Well, because it's, I think what you're saying is, you know, there are people who are actually raped and sexually right. assaulted. And, right. and then, and then there are people who... I got drunk or something and I, I made the wrong choice. But now you're saying, oh, I, me too. But really, you're, you're but taking- It wasn't like that. Yeah, it wasn't like that. You're taking away the actual, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the horrible gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. You're taking away from it by creating a trend. And we see this in the gender dysphoria. Well, I turned some pages um, and I was just reminded of First Timothy. And I like you should y'all should see how marked up First Timothy is. I was actually kind of surprised I haven't been in here in a while. But he says, um, in chapter one of verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive. And again, I'm going to go back to the supremacy of Christianity. We have a faithful word, a patient God, a patient Savior, who is a a wonderful example of what it should look like in our lives. And this man who was treated um, with one-hour care 
and was not treated with patience, that is not loving. They did not love him well. And this is why Christianity is supreme. This is why it is better than every other world religion, because we have a faithful word that tells us how to love each other well through patience. Mm -hmm. Just makes me mad. Gets me. It gets me so mad. We're not loving people well. This gets us a little riled up um, just because of how many children it's harming and how tied into so many other issues of pedophilia. Just we could go on. But let me remind our listeners to watch the Disconnected documentary. We mentioned this before. I'm going to link it again in the show notes. I think it's like $5 to watch or $10 to own. Um, But it's worth its weight in gold. Um, Chelsea and I watched it. It's really informative, um, really empowering to just understand how we came to this point in the gender dysphoria world. And uh, yeah, again. Okay, so I just have a couple comments more um, about this Navy SEAL. Okay, he says he was propagandized. Apparently, you know, his story was used as propaganda to allow trans people in the military and to popularize this issue. And considering this is 10 years ago, I have to say there's probably some truth to that because, um, you know, here's, here we are 10 years later. Furthermore, I cannot imagine that, you know, at the height of his viral, propagandized, transgender fame, that he wasn't loving it. Because this is the sick game that really the tyrannical king of the internet plays on people. It exploits that flesh desire to be known and seen and to be famous and to be worshipped. This is the sin nature that we want to be worshipped as a god. Everybody wants to be their own god. No one knows this and like says it outright. Like, yes, well, some people, some crazy people might say that they want to be a god. But that's what the flesh ultimately feels. Jesus himself was, you know, tempted with all of these, you know, things by Satan. And, and we fall prey to this so easily without being vigilant and holding God's truth to, to everything. You know, we can fall prey to this, but we are not meant to be worshiped. You know, the word of God says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, to love your neighbors as yourself. We are not commanded to love ourselves. We don't have to because we already love ourselves. First, we love God and then we love others. This is how it works. And, you know, the Westminster Catechism answers, you know, our questions of purpose. What is our purpose? What is the chief end of man? It is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. And 99% of us are not called by God to be famously known. The ancient world did not have 10,000 Moseses all fighting for authority and fame. God chose one person, one, because he foreknew and foreordained Moses to be humble. He was one of the most humble men that ever lived, and he was able to handle this pressure. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you. You, Lord, created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. We don't deserve honor and glory and power. We don't. We can't handle it. God alone does. And this is what we see anytime we put someone on a pedestal, anytime we give someone viral fame, they can't handle it and they fall. And when the earth, excuse me, and when the people on earth fail to recognize that we are not meant to be worshiped, you know, James 3.16 says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, 
There you find disorder and every evil practice. So, you know, I think when we look at headlines like this, when we read stories, there's a million ways our hearts can go. And I always want to say, okay, how can this story, um, how can I let scripture change how I think about this? And how can I apply this to parenting? First, I think, talk about it, you know, share scripture and model non-selfish ambitions in your life. It, we, we are not meant to be worshiped and that is true. And we need to demonstrate that to our children. We need to model living the truth, not your personal truth, but God's objective truth in every facet of our life. And that is, includes so much patience as you so greatly walked us through of what that looks like, how patient our God is. And um, we need to teach our children ultimately that we need to have so ambitions that are not selfish in nature. We need to not be pursuing our own glory, our own fame. This is disorder. This is what leads to every evil thing. And I think that if you were to ask Chris Beck about how he felt when he was virally famous to today, I don't think he's coming out necessarily to gain more fame. I think he realizes that his life has been, I mean, as he said, it destroyed him. The past 10 years has been a disaster. And even though he became famous for this, He's like, mm-hmm. hey, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, and he he's would take not the only headline right now. I think there's another person in London. His name is Ollie something. He's a detransitioner. Um, he was the one who tried to be like Korean. He was he's fascinated with like Korean culture, and he had a whole bunch of surgeries so that he would look more Korean. And um, he's detransitioning. There is a whole movement of detransitioners that the media wants to suppress because they don't. They, they've pushed the narrative that it's good for people um, and that it was um, good for their soul. And all, a lot all these detransitioners say should have waited if I would have just waited. And that was the interview in the Disconnected um, documentary that we saw. She said, if I would have just waited. If I could go back, I think she says, if I could go back and just tell my, my whatever 15-year-old self, like, wait, just wait, <laughs> because you're going you're gonna to regret this. And that's the patience. And that's the danger of the, um, I mean, I hate to throw Amazon under the bus because I really enjoy their services, <laughs> but it's the Amazon Prime mentality that we've all grown accustomed to. I think that's the hardest thing though, patience and suffering. But that's what, that's what we do as Christians. That is like what we are called to do, to suffer, to suffer well, to suffer patiently with joy right? But that is so hard. But we have such an encouraging word and we can encourage others around us who are going through really hard things with patience. It's really incredible. I love the way the Lord just kind of turns suffering on its head when you become a Christian, that it's not in a vacuum. It's not without purpose. It's not without meaning. It's it's not um, victimhood. It's not woe is it's me. Not. It's not woe yeah. is me. It's, you know, <laughs> I think that Paul says, um, and I don't remember where, you know, but that, that it's a, a joy. Well, the, the early church, they considered it a joy to suffer for God. Peter, I was Peter, um, you know, walking out of prison and they, <laughs> they rejoiced that they were called worthy to suffer for Christ in the book of Acts. Yep. Worthy to suffer for Christ. That's a, that's something to meditate on as we go into 2023, isn't it? And we are just about there. Our next episode will be in 2023. And we have lots of great stuff planned as we enter in. Will you? No, I'm just joking. 
Uh, you didn't read the, the notes, Chelsea? I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't get the Brave Parenting memo. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> One of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to do a series just on the mental health condition um, of, of the young generation, especially, but it's really across the board and how that, that is so impacted by the content of the media that we see. We're going to be talking a lot about TikTok. Because oh, we're going to be talking I, a lot about I TikTok. <laughs> my, my, the, the content that I am accumulating of TikTok, I, I could, I feel like, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about it all year long. <laughs> yeah. There's so yeah, much to talk about of how much influence it has and uh, the concern of the government. And the, I mean, just, there's just so much. I mean, this, and as we know, I mean, as of right now, here at the end of 22, there are states that are, you know, banning lots of states that are banning TikTok on government issued phones. And there's just, there's a lot. And so we're going to be talking about all that. And again, always doing worldview Wednesday. Um, like I said, I think we could do it every week, but we're going to right now, our plan is to continue it every other week. So, but yeah, so we're super excited going into 2023. And, um, you know, thank you. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Do we we ask you though to share this with people who you know that could benefit from looking at uh, the world through a biblical worldview and rate the podcast on Apple or whatever platform that you're listening to. That is uh, helps the algorithms that the AI world that is out there and helps get the podcast in front of other people. So if you like us, go ahead and rate us. If you don't like us, send us a private message. That's what I. That's what I think. All right, y'all. Until next year, because it's right around the corner. Go and be brave. We'll see y'all next time. (laughs) 